It's Monday, June 24th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Dallas, Texas. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we will be looking specifically at Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 26. But before we start our study, I'm excited to announce that starting next week, July 1st, we will be giving our usually our usual Monday Bible study and call to prayer its very own podcast. We are calling it the Defender Bible Study, and it will be focused solely on the study of God's Word and how it calls each and every Christ follower to care for orphans and vulnerable children. We want you to continue being a part of our Bible study community, so go ahead now and subscribe to the Defender Bible Study on iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcast listening app so you don't miss out. Again, it starts next week on July 1st. And if you'll go ahead and subscribe now, you'll see we've already posted this Bible study to that podcast. But don't worry, the regular Defender podcast isn't going anywhere. You can continue to expect a new episode every Wednesday morning where you can be a part of conversations that will provide practical ways for you and your church to play an active role in manifesting the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. Well, with that, let's look at Acts chapter 21, 1 through 26. And the background and context that we see here in Acts chapter 21 is that Paul, in the book of Acts, on his third missionary journey, has been to Corinth. He wrote the book of Romans and and said that he wanted to get to Rome in order to eventually travel to Spain and show the gospel to unreached peoples there. But first, he said, I have to go to Jerusalem. So Paul leaves Corinth and he sells to Ephesus and now he is selling down to Jerusalem. There are problems in Jerusalem and division between the Jews and Gentiles. Many of the Jews were making it very difficult for the Gentiles to come to faith in Christ and for the Gentiles to be a part of the church. Paul had been collecting an offering from all the Gentile churches who wanted him to present it to the church in Jerusalem so the work of spreading the gospel could continue. And in Acts chapter 20, what we saw last week, Paul is in Ephesus and he is warned of trouble awaiting him in Jerusalem. And so he gathered together with the elders in Ephesus and he says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 22 through 24. He says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. Oh, Paul acknowledges that he knows that the Holy Spirit warns him that prison and hardships might be facing him. But he says, the Spirit is compelling me to go, and I know there is risk there, but I consider my life worth nothing to me. Paul knows that the that gospel risk is right, and this propels him to two more stops on his way to Jerusalem that we will see now in Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 1. This is what the Word of God, written by Luke, says, Acts 21, starting in verse 1 through verse 26. 
And when we had parted from there and set sail, we came straight course to Coz and, and then to Rhodes and from there to Patria. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought after the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him, Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of a nascent of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Then verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you and all that you teach the Jews. And, 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 and they say that you teach the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what is being sacrificed to idols and from blood and from that is being strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took them in and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification, purification should be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Uh, we see four distinct perspectives on Paul's trip to Jerusalem and the suffering and the persecution that lies ahead. You see, we, we saw in Acts chapter 20 where the disciples were coming and saying, Hey, Paul, Jerusalem, th there, is, there is persecution that awaits you. And Paul says, I count not my life as, as precious, only that I may go and run this race for the glory of God. But we continue to see four perspectives in Acts chapter 21 about this trip to Jerusalem. The first is Paul's perspective. We see in verses 1 through 3 that Paul's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem, no matter the circumstances. We see the language in these verses show that Paul has the mindset that he gives to the Philippians when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is not going to be hindered by persecution or calamity. He will not allow that to hinder the spread of the gospel and to strengthen the churches. 
So Paul's perspective is, I'm going to Jerusalem. No matter the, the, what, the obstacles, no matter the cost, I'm headed to Jerusalem. So Paul's perspective is full steam ahead. But then we see the perspective of the Christians in Tyre. Uh, they are telling in verses 4 through 6, Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. They're in the Spirit, and they know what lies ahead and want Paul to turn back. They love Paul, but yet Paul continues forward to Jerusalem. This does not mean that Paul was acting contrary to the Spirit. Oh, no. The Spirit was giving discernment of prediction of what would happen to Paul. The Spirit was not prohibiting Paul to go forward, but was warning Paul to know what to expect. And so we see that the Spirit either gives discernment or prohibition. And this was not prohibition. This was discernment. But these believers entire loved Paul. He had planted this church. He had strengthened these believers, and they loved him, and they did not want to see him hurt. But then that leads us to the next, as we see the Christians in Caesarea's perspective in verses 7 through 13. So while Paul was in the home of Philip the prophet, the evangelist, right? Philip the evangelist, he has four daughters that are prophetess. And then another prophet, Agabus, comes and gives an object lesson to Paul, giving a physical simile of what will happen to Paul should he go forward with his journey to Jerusalem. Again, this is not a prohibition. The Spirit was not forbidding Paul from going, but he was predicting what would happen. And this leads Paul to look at Agabus and to look at these four daughters of Philip and to look at Philip himself and the church that was gathered there and to say in verse 13, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart for I'm not, I'm not only ready to be imprisoned, but even to die if that's the case in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, we see the Christians in Caesarea's perspective, this physical simile, but Paul will not be hindered. He goes forth because gospel risk is right. And then fourth, we see Luke, the author of Acts. We see his perspective. Many times throughout the book of Acts, Luke enters himself into the dialogue. We see this all the way through verses 1 through 14, where, where it's we and our and, and we went on and our ship and all of this. Luke has entered himself into the dialogue. And this is Luke's perspective, even Luke, the author who was right there. He says he adamantly warns and persuades Paul not to go. Verse 12, when we, including Luke, heard this, what Agabus said, we and the people urged him, Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. Luke was urging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But we know from our reading that Paul could not be persuaded to fall back. And he, pro he proclaims, let the will of the Lord be done. Beloved, Paul followed Jesus no matter the cost. He wasn't afraid of the consequences for his abiding faith in Christ. We see Paul say in 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth in, in chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Oh, Paul never knew where the next blow would come from. Every day he risked his life for the cause of God. 
The roads weren't safe. The rivers weren't safe. His own people, the Jews, weren't safe. The Gentiles weren't safe. The cities weren't safe. The wilderness wasn't safe. The sea wasn't safe. Even the brethren weren't safe. Some were false brethren. Safety was simply a mirage and an oasis. It didn't exist for the Apostle Paul. He had two choices, run or risk. Oh, beloved, we have absolutely no idea what tomorrow may bring. We have absolutely no idea what our life may be like in the next second, the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next month, the next year, the next decade. We have no idea if tomorrow is promised to us yet. So what will we do with this life? To live is to believe in risk. To get in a car is to believe in risk. To get on a plane is to believe in risk. To go on your vacation is to believe in risk. Safety is a mirage. It is not the end goal. And so, beloved, today we have two choices. Believe the lie of safety and run from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or risk it all for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are five principles we see this from this passage that we learn from Paul, which shows us that gospel risk is right. Five principles. The first is love Jesus more than people. Certainly, this is not meaning not to love people, but if we love Jesus, our love for Christ will flow into a manifest love for his people. Paul clearly loved people invested in the lives of so many Here we see him staying in homes and the deep concern of the believers in Tyre and Caesarea for their dear friend's life. Paul was a man that was blessed with deep relationships, but ultimately he loved Jesus supremely and the cause of making Jesus known was his chief aim. That's why, again, he says, I'm not ready only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one and no thing could ever be more valuable than Jesus. So love Jesus more than you love people. But that brings us to the second principle we see from Paul, which shows us that gospel risk is right. Receive advice, number two, but ultimately follow God. Receive advice, but ultimately follow God. Refusing to allow Christian friends and mentors to speak into our lives is utterly foolish. But at the same time, we must realize that the call on Christ on our lives is our supreme call. We see here Paul receive advice. He doesn't tell him to hush up or he doesn't cut him short. He listened, but he could not be deterred from the call of the Lord on his life. 16 years ago when the Lord called me to Lifeline, I remember that friends and family were telling me that I needed to stay put in my profession as an accountant. I remember people telling me not to to take the risk to go uh, to Lifeline. At the time of Lifeline, we had about nine employees We had a $450,000 budget, and on May 19th, we were $150,000 short of our budget. Lifeline was in a dire straits, and many people said, don't go. Oh, but I am so grateful that I listened to the call that the Lord had placed on my life to see the thousands of children that have been impacted through the ministry of Lifeline and have a front row seat to what the Lord has doing. And so many other missionaries that we read about in history had strong advice to stay home and not go into harsh lands for the sake of the gospel. But they, they counted the cost and they left it all for the glory of God. One such missionary is John Patton. John Patton served for 10 years as the pastor of a church in Glasgow, Scotland. But God burdened his heart for the island of New Hebrides, a Pacific island filled with cannibalistic peoples with no knowledge of the gospel. 
20 years early, Patton knew that two missionaries had gone to the New Hebrides Islands and had been killed and cannibalized there. Patton began to share his desire in the church to go to these people. And he wrote in his journal this, I was besieged with the strongest opposition on all sides. One of my professors of divinity told me that I was leaving certainty for uncertainty. I was leaving work in which God had made me gratefully useful for work which I might fail to be useful and only throw my life away among the cannibals. He continued, Amongst many who sought to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument always was, The cannibals, you will be eaten by the cannibals. John Patton replied to this man, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you, if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. John Patton says the old gentleman raised his hands in deprecating attitude, left the room saying, after that, I have nothing more to say. Patton's church even begged him to stay. They offered him a house if he would stay. They even told him that he could request any salary and they would give it to him if he could stay. Patton wrote about the church. Indeed, the opposition was so strong from nearly all and from many of them warm Christian friends that I was sorely tempted to question whether I was carrying out the divine will or some headstrong wish of my own. This caused me much anxiety and drove me close to God in prayer. But again, every doubt would vanish when I clearly saw that all at home had free access to the Bible and the means of grace with gospel light shining all around them, while the poor heathen were perishing without even the chance of knowing all God's love and mercy for me. And so, at 33 years old, Patton traveled to the New Hebrides Islands with his wife. The result of his life and work, which was not easy, is that an entire island among the New Hebrides came to faith in Christ. The church across Australia, Scotland, and all parts of the world were challenged to rise up and make the gospel known among the toughest-to-reach peoples on the planet. And because of Patton's boldness, countless savages across the New Hebrides came to know for the first time the peace that is found only in Christ Jesus. While we must heed godly counsel, beloved, we must ultimately follow the call of Christ on our life. But that brings us to the third principle. We do not want to waste our life. Life is short and we only have one life to live. When we pour out ourselves for the sake of others and the gospel, we actually are finding our life. Paul was ready to spend his one life for the name of the Lord Jesus. John Piper says in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, he says this, Paul said in prison in Rome in Philippians 3.8 that he counted everything as loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and that he suffered all the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish or trash in order that he may gain Christ. One of the things that Paul counted as rubbish was staying alive and living 80 years and making $80 million and never having a sick day while running through the meadows off the race course towards the cliff. That kind of success, he says, is rubbish. Better to lose your life then waste it. And then Paul knew and read Psalm 63.3, Your steadfast love, O Lord, is better than life. There is a path that leads to the everlasting enjoyment of the steadfast love of God. Better to lose your life than to go off on that path. I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Beloved, we have but one life and we cannot waste it. But that brings us to the fourth principle. Risk for Christ 
is worth it. Beloved, let us not miss that when we risk it all for Christ, even when suffering is inevitable, that it is utterly worth it. This life is not the end. One day at the end of our lives, when we see Jesus face to face, we will have absolutely no regrets that we followed him wholeheartedly. Revelation 21, verses 22 to 27. John the Revelator says, I saw a city and a, a temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But its light will, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut day, and there will ne- be, never be no night. Oh, there they will bring into glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, beloved, risk for Christ is worth it. When one day we are in that city where there is no need for light and there is no need for a lamp because the light will be in Christ. Oh, but there are some whose names are not yet written in the Lamb's book of life, and we risk it all for Christ. And it's worth it when believers are made out of those whom we share. But this brings us to the fifth principle. It is vastly more costly to not follow Jesus. It is vastly more costly to not follow Jesus. While following Jesus is certainly costly in this life, and it will cost us our comfort, not following him is vastly more costly. Paul knew this preeminently. Why are you weeping for the earthly cost this trip will expend, he says, because he knows that there are those who still haven't heard of the name of Jesus. And for them, the risk of our lives and comfort is utterly more costly. That's why Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verses 36 through 38, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Beloved, gospel risk is right. It's risk because we don't know what the future holds. But when we are in the palm of the hand of our God, risk is just simple, reckless abandon and faith in the one who holds the future. You see, our Father holds the future and he knows what's around the corner. So the safest place to be is to risk this life for the sake of the God who knows the future. And then we see, starting in verse 17, that Paul makes it to Jerusalem. And we see both humility and love displayed. It's no wonder that Paul, recklessly abandoned to Christ, knowing that suffering would abound, would enter into the city with love and humility. And in closing, we see three evidences of the love and humility displayed by Paul. First, we see a gospel-centered celebration. Verses 18 through 20, it shows us that the first thing in the city, Paul celebrates the many things the Lord has done. He shares the joy of how the gospel has gone forth to the nations. The question is, do we celebrate what the Lord has done? Are we truly celebrating the fruit that the Lord has brought through our lives? At Lifeline, we ask ourselves, are we truly celebrating the fruit of what he has accomplished when birth mothers come to saving faith in Christ, when families are restored through families count, when foster families come forth to bring a child into their home, when new children are welcomed into adoptive families, not only to, of an earthly reality, but are, are discipled in the gospel and the grace of Christ. Are we celebrating what the Lord has done? But this brings us to the third evidence we see of love and humility that's displayed by Paul. We see gospel-saturated gifts. Oh, the the, the 
the end of this passage in verse 26, it says this, it says, Then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and he brought the offering, <laughs> presented the offering. We know that Paul had been traveling and had collected this offering from the Gentile churches for the church in Rome. And he brings this gift and this collection from the Gentiles to this same church in Jerusalem. One of the first things he does is to bring the offering. When we see the Lord move in such awesome ways, we are driven to give our lives, our talents, and our abilities. And the question is, what are we giving as an act of worship to what God is doing in our midst? Oh, our giving is an act of worship to this God who we risk it all for. There's a gospel-saturated gift. But this leads us to the third evidence of the love and humility displayed by Paul. A gospel-driven plan. Verses 21 through 26. This passage reveals the heart of Paul. He is passionate about the glory of God, the unity of the church, and the evangelization of all nations. He is literally willing to do anything for the sake of the gospel, as long as it does not compromise the gospel. Paul shows us a powerful lesson on Christian liberty in this passage while showing incredible maturity. He realized that the Jewish Christians had a stumbling block over the liberties afforded by the gospel. Instead of making a point on the pettiness, the plan of Paul was unity in the blood of Christ. And so while we realize that gospel risk is right, the question is, are we pursuing unity or allowing petty differences to distract us from the spread and the furtherance of the gospel? Beloved, gospel risk is right, good, and freeing when coupled with love and humility. May we as a people and Lifeline as a ministry be willing to risk it all for the spread of this glorious gospel to the uttermost so that a people who have never heard may praise the name of Jesus. Well, this week we are praying for the country of Colombia. We are praying that the church will be strengthened and that the true gospel will spread in Colombia. We pray for them as the church becomes more aware of the orphan crisis and we progress in discipleship with local churches, specifically praying for the following churches, uh, Renacer, Vida Bogota, La Libertad, and Vida Nuevo. We pray that the Lord would bring redemption and truth to those living in Colombia. Colombia is working hard to progress and to come back from past histories with drugs, prostitution, sexual promiscuity, corruption, and violence. Pray that the Lord would bring truth and peace to those who call Colombia home. Pray for God to give grace, provision, and peace to those in the midst of adoption process. Pray the Lord to guide them and give them endurance. Pray for post-adoption families. Many families are home and walking through challenges of parenting children who have faced a lot of trauma. Pray for God to bring more missional families that will be flexible and understanding with the process and the complex needs of the children of Colombia. Pray that the Lord would prepare their children being pursued by our families now, that their hearts would be prepared and at peace with all the upcoming transitions. Pray for opportunity to advocate for more waiting children and to have more opportunities to advocate for better policies to benefit them in the long run. Pray for continued growth in caregiver education in Colombia, that the Lord would continue to open doors to local churches who want to invest in and be a part of orphan care ministry. Pray for the foster parents that went through training this year, that they may continue to, to pull from the things they learned and would feel encouraged and empowered. Pray for the wisdom of our unadopted team and for the Latin American team as they work together to plan for future trainings and team trips in Colombia. Pray for our in-country team, Saraya and Juliette and Joanna, as they work on challenging cases and building relationships with the government. Pray for Beth and Oscar, who live in Bogota. 
Pray for ICBF and those that are working for the central authority that they will come to know Jesus and for grace and efficiency as they review our families. Pray that they will work in the best interest of children and creatively find solutions for many political issues that hurt the adoption process. And pray that our relationships will grow with directors and workers at private homes. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you love the country of Columbia. Father, we have seen evidences of the ways that you have encouraged and equipped the church to be salt and light there for orphans and vulnerable children in Columbia. Would you continue to give them direction? Would you continue to give them understanding? Would you continue to give them direction? And would you continue to use this local church, La Libertad, Viva Vida Nuevo and Vida Bogota and um, Renasar Iglesia Baptiste for the glory of your great name in Colombia. Be with our team as they serve. Lord, we pray that you would wrap around families who are currently adopting or home from their adoption. And Lord, we pray that you would provide more missional families that would wrap around the children of Colombia. Lord, we are so grateful that you are so passionate for this nation. And we pray that you would help us continue our ministry of making the gospel known, of manifesting the gospel to orphan and vulnerable children in Colombia in your name, in your glory, in your honor. And it's in that name we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. We are so grateful, again, that you have joined us for our Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Don't remember that, don't forget that next week we will be launching the Defender Bible Study podcast, and you can find that wherever you find your podcast. So make sure you go now and subscribe to the Defender Bible Study podcast because that's how you'll hear our Bible study next week. Also, don't forget that on July 3rd, our first of our new format of the Defender Podcast will be released on this podcasting uh, stream, the Defender Podcast. We hope that you will find us on both the Defender Podcast Bible Study as well as the Defender Podcast. Well, thanks for listening to Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To search for Lifeline on social media, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, search for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. To partner with Lifeline, visit lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.